Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Justin Peters. I hope that you and your family are doing well today. I want to thank you so very much for joining me for this podcast. And I want to say a couple of things real quickly before we get into the interview with Mike Gendron. One, if you are a Roman Catholic, um, maybe you saw this thumbnail and you're a Roman Catholic and you decided to see what this is about, please do watch the entirety of this interview. Uh, please do know that Mike and I did this interview um, not because we hate Roman Catholics, not at all. We love Roman Catholics. Mike Gendron was himself a Roman Catholic for the first half or so of his life. So um, we, we love Roman Catholics, but we love them enough to tell them the truth. So please watch this. Please watch this with an open mind, with an open Bible. If you have, maybe you're not Roman Catholic, but you have friends or family members who are. Please watch this. Um, I, I really trust that it will be helpful for you. That's the first thing. The second thing is that my audio is messed up in this interview. Uh, I, I didn't realize it until the interview was over. And I went back and watched facts. You'll notice I'm, I'm wearing the same shirt. So this is a recent discovery. But um, apparently my computer, I got a new computer. And apparently this new computer with a new chip was not compatible with the version of Zoom that I had, um, that I'd already had installed. So anyway, I think that's fixed right now, but it's too late for the interview. So I'm going to sound like I'm in a well. So I do apologize for that. You'll be able to hear me. You'll be able to understand me. It's just not, not great quality at all. Mike's is okay. Mike's audio is okay, but mine, not so much, but at any rate, I hope that won't be a distraction to you. Okay. Let's go to the interview. But it is my privilege to have Mike Gendron as my guest here on my YouTube channel, my podcast, and uh, just a little bit of background information. Mike and I met, oh, what, Mike, seven, eight, nine years ago or so, maybe eight or nine years That's or so. That's right. Ago. And, um, and uh, we became friends. Mike and his wife, Jane, uh, have become dear friends of Kathy and me. And, um, there's a lot of similarities actually between Mike's testimony and that of my wife's and that Mike, like my wife was a Roman Catholic for the first 34 years of his life. And I think my wife, Kathy was so for the first 35 of her life. But, uh, so God graciously saved Mike Gendron out of Roman Catholicism. He was steeped in Roman Catholicism and, uh, Mike attended, um, uh, an evangelical conference, and God used the truth that was presented there to prick his heart and begin to open his eyes to the deception that is the Roman Catholic Church and Roman Catholicism. And then in 1988, about seven years after that, Mike enrolled in Dallas Theological Seminary to continue his studies at a more academic level. And uh, now Mike and his wife, Jane, are both involved in ministry. Of course, Mike is the only one who preaches and teaches, uh, at least in the public sense. But um, God has opened up a, a ministry of evangelism to Mike. And I tell people often that um, 
Mike Gendron is to Roman Catholicism what I am to Word of Faith, in a sense. And uh, Mike, had, Mike and his wife, Jane, both have a passion for uh, presenting the truth and seeing God deliver people out of the deception that is Roman Catholicism. And uh, Mike is the author of two books, Preparing for Eternity and Contending for the Gospel. So, uh, Mike, brother, it is a, a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's just my joy and my privilege to be on your show. And we've done a lot of ministry together over the years, so it's good to team up here for this podcast. Indeed. Indeed, brother. All right. Well, Mike, uh, today, as of this recording, this is November the 4th, 2021, so we're just a few days removed from the 504th anniversary of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. It was October the 31st, 1517, that a Roman Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther uh, famously nailed his 95 theses to the door, to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. And so, um, you know, most people think of October 31st as Halloween, but uh, you and I think of it as as Reformation Day. So, Mike, tell us a little bit about, about the Protestant Reformation. What was it, and, and was it even necessary in the first place? Well, sure. Martin Luther strategically chose October 31st to nail his 95 Theses on the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, because the next day was All Saints Day, and that's when Roman Catholics were going to go in to worship and venerate relics and relics are bone fragments or hair spotches or fingernails of Roman Catholic saints. And so they were supposed to receive indulgences by confessing to a priest and venerating these relics. So Martin Luther chose this day so that many people would see his 95 Theses. And his 95 Theses really protested the use of indulgences. In fact, Martin Luther was outraged that Roman Catholic Church was selling God's forgiveness for a price. And so by nailing these 95 theses, he was looking for a debate so that people could actually sit down and talk through these. And so the Reformation was necessary because if you look at the history of the Roman Catholic Church, it began drifting into apostasy really around the fourth century when Constantine became the Roman emperor and he established Christianity as the official religion of the Roman Empire. But it was a false Christianity because no one had to have faith. They just had to be baptized, and that was how they became a part of this church that Constantine was the Pontificus Maximus of. And so a lot of pagan traditions came into that church early on, and as the years went by, more and more pagan traditions were added to the Roman Catholic religion. So the word apostasy means they departed from the faith of the apostles. And what they started doing, as Paul mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, they departed from the faith to follow doctrines of demons. Right. And so the Roman Catholic Church became very demonic over the years. And so when Martin Luther nailed these 95 Theses, it had really progressed to the point where it no longer resembled biblical Christianity, especially when it comes to the gospel. And so the 
purpose of the Reformation was to restore the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people. And as these reformers began abiding in God's word, they discovered the truth, and that truth set them free from religious deception and religious bondage. And that's true today. As people abide in God's word, if they're trapped in religious deception, the truth will set them free. Yes, indeed, indeed. Well, Mike, uh, so you mentioned Constantine, and a question that I'm often asked as I travel and preach and teach, and I I hit on Roman Catholicism as well because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of commonality between Word of Faith and Roman Catholicism. A lot of people don't realize that, but there's a lot of overlap there. But um, a question I'm often asked is this: Has the Roman Catholic Church always been as heretical? Did it start off as heretical as it became in later centuries? Yeah, it's a good question. When you look at the history of the church, we really have two streams of Christianity running side by side for 2,000 years. We see in the first century there was apostasy. First John chapter 2, verse 19, John says they went out from us because they were never part of us. Had they been part of us, they would have remained with us. Another way John could have said that, they went out from us because they were never born again of the Spirit of God. Had they been born again, they would have remained with us. And so you see these two streams operating side by side. The true apostolic church is made up of all those who have been born again of the Spirit of God. It doesn't matter today what denomination, if you were baptized by the Spirit of God, you belong to the one true church. But the Roman Catholic Church started preaching baptismal regeneration even as early as the fourth century. So they declared that a person was born again through the waters of baptism. And so that put the gospel off limits to a lot of Catholics. They thought they were already on the road to heaven through their sacrament of baptism. But as the church evolved with more and more heretical doctrines in the 13th century, for example, they established the supposed miracle of transubstantiation, where the priest is said to have the power to call Jesus Christ down from heaven And then through this miracle of transubstantiation, the inner substance of the wafer becomes his physical body and blood, soul, and divinity. So the priest will then lift up the wafer for all the Catholics to worship the wafer as the true Christ, having been called down from heaven to continue the work of redemption on an altar that he finished on the cross. And so the Catholic priest will lift it up. All the Catholics will worship the Eucharist, and then he will lay it on the altar as a propitiatory sacrifice, such that the sins committed in the previous week by Roman Catholics are appeased by God through the offering of this Eucharist. And so more and more heretical teachings came into the Catholic Church to the point where God raised up these reformers. And one of the heresies was that they named the Pope as the head of the church. Now, we know the true head of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that suffered and died and bled. He purchased the church with his own blood. How dare the Pope declare himself to be head of the church? And so the Reformation actually reestablished Christ as the head of the church. The Reformation also was necessary because the Catholic Church had elevated the teachings of their infallible bishops above the authority of Scripture. In fact, uh, when you stop and think about it, if anyone is above Scripture and they're the only ones that can interpret it, then they have placed themselves above 
the inerrant, inspired, authoritative word of God. So the reformers established the scriptures as the supreme authority. And that's why when we look at the Reformation, we have these five important solas. The Catholic Church had taught salvation was by grace plus merit, faith plus works, Christ plus other mediators, scripture plus tradition, and glory was going to God as well as Mary and the saints. So the reformers said, no, having discovered the true gospel in the scriptures, they said salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone. Yes, indeed. Indeed. And, and sometimes when I'm talking to Catholics or I get emails, and I, right before we started recording, I, I shared with you that I got an email just this morning from someone who has taken issue with what I taught about the Roman Catholic Church. But it, it's not that so Roman Roman Catholics, Roman Catholicism would not deny, at least not in words, they would not say, oh, no, we're not saved by grace. I mean, they would say, yes, we're saved by grace, and yes, uh, we must have faith. So they would not deny grace and faith, at least not outright. But they use some of the same lingo, Mike. They'll use the term grace, they'll use the term faith, but they don't mean by those terms what you and I would mean by those terms, right? They they add a meaning into grace, especially grace. That you were so right, and I'm so true. glad you brought this up, Justin, because we really do have to define terms when we're witnessing to Roman Catholics. Exactly. Because every Catholic believes they're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. But the word alone becomes so important. Yes. In fact, paragraph 2027 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church says that Catholics must merit all the graces necessary for salvation. Well, how do you merit the unmerited favor of God? And so Paul said in Romans eleven six, if it is by grace, it is not of works. Otherwise, grace is not grace. And you know that Satan has all of these religions of the world that teach you must do things to appease their God. That's right. So Satan knows that if you add anything to grace, you've nullified the only means by which God saves sinners. Right. And so Roman Catholicism is no different from any other religion in the world. It's a works righteousness salvation. Catholics must merit and do works in order to be justified before God. Right. If we add anything to grace, any human work, any human merit, then you've redefined grace and, and grace is no longer grace. So you may use the term, but you've you've completely obliterated the meaning and redefined it so as to be meaningless. Well, when we look at the gospel of the Reformation, we talked about the five solas. Well, the Roman Catholic Church, when you look at their gospel, what a Catholic must do in order to be saved, it really is amazing that they don't observe what Paul wrote in Galatians 1, verses 6 to 9. Because there, Paul was condemning with anathema the Judaizers who wanted to add one requirement in order to be saved. They said, you not only have to believe in Jesus, you have to be circumcised. Yep. So Paul said, let, you, let them be anathema. Well, the Catholic Church teaches that you must be baptized. That's necessary. You must receive the sacraments to be saved. You must do good works in order to be justified. You must believe in indulgences to remit temporal punishment for sin. You must believe in a purging fire of purgatory to purge away 
venial sins, and you must obey the law in order to be saved. Yeah. Well, that places them under the same curse as the Judaizers. And so yeah. when we look at the Roman Catholic religion, we have to say that the clergy is under the same condemnation as the Judaizers for preaching a distorted gospel. And so I hope your listeners would recognize that the Roman Catholic Church is under divine condemnation, and we need to rescue precious souls out from a church that is damned by Almighty God for perverting the gospel. Indeed. Indeed, Mike. And it's not that uh, you, and I I tell people this too, it's not that we hate Roman Catholics at all. We love Roman. You wouldn't do what you're doing if you did not have a a tremendous heart and, and burden for Roman Catholics, right? That's so true. That is my motivation. In fact, 31 years ago, we began inviting Roman Catholics over to our home to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Hmm. And during a three-month period, we saw 17 Roman Catholics exchange their religion for a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we never really set out to start a ministry, but we saw that there was such a need to reach Catholics. And so what do you do with 17 new babes in Christ? Well, you invite them back over on Wednesday night to help them grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. And so they began asking us to put things in writing so they could share with their family and loved ones. And that was really the genesis of the ministry that the Lord has literally taken around the world over the last 31 years. We, We stand in awe of what he's done because we're just uh, a couple of broken vessels that love Roman Catholics, have a great compassion for Catholics who are where we were for so many years of our lives, and we want to see them saved. Amen. Amen. Indeed. Um, Mike, I, I don't know the answer to this question specifically, but uh, I know from Kathy's testimony, when she was a Roman Catholic, as I said, the first 30, 34, 35 years of her life, uh, she didn't, she, to her, it seemed like just a, a, uh, an endless hamster wheel, if you will, of you got to do enough works. And even as an unconverted person in the Roman Catholic church, she still had that sense that she, she just knew she couldn't do enough to earn her way into heaven. It seemed like just an, a, an endless, helpless, hopeless series of of doing works and you got to go to confession. You got to confess your sins. You got to say your Hail Mary, say you're our fathers, you know, say however many, I don't know the number, but the priest would say, you know, say 30 Hail Marys and 45 our fathers to, and so she would do it in this just kind of rote thing. But, but deep down she knew that this, this wasn't going to get her into heaven. And, uh, uh, and it just seemed helpless to her that as a Roman Catholic, did you did, did you believe that you were okay, or did you also have this gnawing doubt on the inside of you that something here is not right? You just didn't know what it was, and did you know that you were unconverted? Or tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's first of all, the Roman Catholic Church does not give the promise of the gospel, which is eternal, everlasting life with the Savior. Yeah. Roman Catholics only have conditional life. And I was aware of my conditional life. In fact, when I was still in the corporate world as a Roman Catholic, I'd get on an airplane every Monday morning to go sell computers. And I had this great fear. What if the plane goes down? Will I end up in purgatory or hell? Yeah. It was not an option. 
And so I understand Kathy's situation being a mouse on a treadmill or a, a wheel. I've often said it was like being on a treadmill, always yeah. doing my best to appease a holy and righteous God, but going nowhere. Right. And so now when I get on an airplane, I know if it goes down, I'm instantly in the presence of my Savior. And that's because I have believed the gospel, which promises eternal life. But in Roman Catholicism, you only have conditional life. Whether or not you get to heaven is based on whether or not you die in the state of grace, which means you cannot die in mortal sin. And it also depends on whether or not you've received the sacraments and you've obeyed the law. So Roman Catholics look at God grading on the curve. And so you're always trying to do your best. Yeah. I remember when I was a college student, I would go to church every day during Lent because I felt like I was building up indulgences by going to mass. And then my sins hopefully would not be as heavy as the indulgences that I was building up. So yeah, it's a, it's a religion that is based on a false hope. And that's why Catholics, when uh, you point them to first John five thirteen, where mm -hmm. John writes to those who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That is something Catholics don't know. And so that really is a great verse to start with as we sit down and share the gospel with Roman Catholics. Amen. Amen. Because they have no assurance of their salvation. There is no assurance in Roman Catholicism. Um, talk to us, that kind of reminds me, talk to us a little bit about purgatory. What is the doctrine of purgatory? Where did it come from? Um, is there any, and we know the Bible doesn't support it, but they surely they've got some verse that they try to take out of context. I mean, they've got to, they've got to hang their purgatory hat on something. So talk to us a little bit about purgatory and, and what the Catholic church teaches about that and where it comes from. Yes. The Catholic church teaches that purgatory is an intermediate place between heaven and hell. And if you die in grace, but you still have unforgiven sins, those would be venial sins. And just to pause for a moment, the Catholic Church has two different types of sin. Mortal sin are deadly. They send you to hell and they cause you to be de-justified. And venial sins are lesser sins. Mortal sins would be like murder, adultery, or even missing church on Sunday would be considered a mortal sin. Venial sins would be, say, a white lie or stealing a small amount of money or goods. Those would be punishable in purgatory. It, not to interrupt, Mike, but I guess to interrupt. Okay, so so run that by us again. A moral, moral sin, if you die having committed a moral sin and you had not yet received you know, uh, forgiveness from the priest or gone to Mass. So missing church. So if you're a Roman Catholic and you miss Mass— uh, and, and then later that day, you die of something, step out in the street, get hit by a truck. You go to you will go to hell because you miss mass. Yeah. And you have to miss it deliberately, purposefully. Uh, obviously, if you're sick or something like that, then uh, you have an excuse. But, yeah, if you deliberately miss mass for no reason, that is a mortal sin. And if you die in that state, you will go straight to hell. You know, it's interesting because. When you look at the doctrine of justification, the Catholic Church teaches that an infant is justified at infant baptism. Yeah. And later on, if he grows up and commits a mortal sin, 
now he is on his road to hell. He must be re-justified by confessing to a priest, doing good works, achieving enough merit to qualify to heaven again. And so when I was on a cruise on the Pauline tour in uh, the Mediterranean, there was a Roman Catholic priest on board, and I approached him with that very statement. I said, is it true that a baptized infant who commits a mortal sin later as an adult would end up in hell? He said, yes. And I said, well, how do you explain Romans 8.30? Those God justifies, he glorifies. Yeah. He said, you know what? We just don't have an answer for that. <laughs> now, here's a Catholic priest who knows what the Word of God says, but rather than submit to its authority, he tells right. me we just don't have an answer. And right. so that's what a mortal sin is. It, it deprives you of grace. It causes you to be de-justified, and you must be re-justified in order to, once again, have a right standing before God. And so purgatory, then, is a place where people die without mortal sin, but with venial sins. And those are taken care of through the fires of purgatory. It's a purifying fire. And no priest can tell you how long you have to spend to purify those sins away. But this is the moneymaker of the Catholic Church. The family will purchase indulgences, normally in the form of a mass card. They'll buy it from the priest and pay anywhere from 50 to $300. Write the name of their loved one on the indulgence mass card. The priest will lay it on the altar and offer up the mass, the sacrifice of the Eucharist, to get that person out of purgatory. But he will not tell you how many masses must be offered, nor will he tell you how many years you must suffer for each sin. So the Roman Catholic is dependent upon his priest, not only in this life to receive the sacraments, but even in the next life as they're suffering in this fictitious place called purgatory. This has been a huge moneymaker for the Catholic Church. In fact, that was really the spark that ignited the Reformation the selling of indulgences, and a lot of the money went toward the building of St. Peter's. Yeah. And so Roman Catholics today still rely on indulgences to get them out of this fictitious place. Right. Yeah, for every coin into the coffer rings a soul from Purgatory Springs. That's attributed to... Right, Johann Tetzel. Tetzel, yes. And and so, Mike, there's to this day, the Roman Catholic Church still does that right i mean they you you still purchase um mass cards or purgatory cards to get the soul of your deceased loved one out of purgatory more quickly i mean they may not use that little jingle that i just rattled off from tetzel but they but they still do the same thing right yeah in fact when my dear old dad died as a devout catholic we went through his mail and we could not believe the hundreds of indulgences that had been purchased for my dad to get him out of this fictitious place. And there's a verse, 1 John 1, 7, it says the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. All sin. And then in Hebrews 1, 3, when he obtained purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So Catholics who will put their trust in Jesus will have all of their sins purified by his blood. And these are the verses we need to share with Catholics because the truth is going to set them free. 
if they're willing to submit to the authority of God's word instead of their religion. Yeah, yeah. But Justin, it might be good just to talk about a little the doctrine of justification because um, it really ties into what we were just talking about and and really the reformers recognized that the catholic church had justification wrong that martin luther said that justification is the very hinge upon which the gates of heaven open and close he yes. said if you get justification wrong you get the gospel wrong right. and so i think we need to start by defining what justification is and I think the best way to define it is to say that it actually declares the inflexible righteousness of God as a judge who must punish every sin that's ever been committed by every man and woman that's ever lived. And the only way condemned sinners can be justified is through faith in the sin-bearing substitutionary atonement and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who satisfied divine justice. So anyone who wants their divine justice satisfied by Christ, all they have to do is put their trust in him, repent of the false way that they were believing and put their trust in Christ. And when you look at the doctrine of justification, I wanna just share quickly how many different ways the Catholic Church perverts the doctrine of justification. Yes, the Bible yes. tells us it's instantaneous. In fact, oftentimes you see a gavel coming down symbolizing that when that gavel comes down, the condemned sinner is now declared righteous because they've received or the righteousness of Christ through imputation that's been credited to their account. But the Catholic Church says, no, it's not a legal declaration by God. It's the transformation of the inner person. You become more and more righteous as you receive more and more sacraments. So it's not instantaneous. It's actually a process whereby Catholics grow in their righteousness. We've already talked about the Catholic Church declaring that baptism is the sacrament of justification, but yet the Bible clearly says justification is by faith in what God accomplished in Christ. How can a seven-day-old infant have faith in anything? Right. And the Roman Catholic Church teaches that justification is increased when you do good works, and it's decreased and actually lost if you commit a mortal sin. Yeah. The Bible says that justification is permanent. Right. It's never lost by sin. The legal status of a justified man is unchangeable as the righteousness of Christ. And I love sharing Hebrews 10, 14. By one offering, he has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. Yes. Yeah. We have the righteousness of Christ, perfect righteousness forever. The Catholic Church denies that. The Bible also says God justifies the ungodly, Romans 4, 5. But Roman Catholicism rejects that. It says you have to become righteous through the changing of the inner man. Justification is the imputation of Christ's righteousness. But Rome says, no, it's the infusion and so you have to become more and more righteous the more sacraments you receive. And you can see why the Reformers had to reestablish the doctrine of justification because the Catholic Church had perverted it to no end. Talk to us a little bit more, Mike, about the difference between imputed and infused righteousness. Now, those are maybe some uh, theological terms with which not everybody is familiar, but um, there's a 
there's the difference between imputed and infused righteousness is the difference between heaven and hell. It's the difference between being lost and being saved. So drill down a little bit more for us. You know, Catholics believe in infused righteousness. What's the big deal if they believe that as opposed to imputed? What do these terms mean? Why is, why is that such an important distinction? Sure. Well, the word imputation can also mean credited. The righteousness of Christ is imputed or credited to the believer's account such that his account now is seen by God as perfectly righteous. And I think the classic example of what this word means is found in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Mm-hmm. There we read, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so by faith, Jesus Christ receives all of the sins, all of the guilt, all of the punishment of the believer that are credited to his account such that he bears our sin. He dies on the cross bearing our sin. And what does he give us in return? His perfect righteousness. And we see in Romans 5.17 that the righteousness of Christ is given as a gift to those who will put their trust and hope and faith in him. So sin is imputed to Christ or credited to his account, and his righteousness is imputed or credited to the believer's account. The only other place the word imputation is used is when the sin of Adam is imputed to the whole human race. And so that's why we're all conceived in sin. We're born sinners and we've been imputed with the sin of Adam. And the only hope for those who are born sinners is to receive the divine cure. And that's available free for the asking because of a love story written in blood on a wooden cross 2,000 years ago. Amen. So it goes back to what we were saying earlier. Even though Catholics may use some of the same lingo, they do not mean by those terms what the Bible means by them. And Justin, if I could just say something else, you know, we, we call the Bible, or we call the gospel good news, but it's really the greatest news anybody could ever hear. Yes. And the reason being is because In Roman Catholicism, when you commit a sin after you've been justified by your baptism, that affects your eternal destiny. When a born-again Christian commits a sin, the Bible says that God no longer takes his sin into account because he's become a child of God. Romans 4.8, Paul says, blessed is the man whose sin God does not take into account. And then we see in 2 Corinthians 5.18, that God is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Amen. I mean, that is the greatest news. Of course, when you share that with Roman Catholics, I often hear, oh, so all you have to do is believe in Jesus, then you can continue to sin? Well, no. Titus 2, 11 to 14 tells us that the grace that brought us salvation teaches us to say no to ungodliness, no to worldly passions, and to live a self-controlled, upright life. No, the fact that Christ died for me, I want to live a life pleasing to him. I want to turn from my sin and live a Christ-like life, all because of what he did for me. Yeah, indeed. In, in Romans 8.1, right, Paul says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and 
that does not fit within the Roman Catholic framework because there, there is still much condemnation uh, within Roman Catholicism because of all these sins that you can commit and still suffer in purgatory if you commit a mortal sin and you lose your status with Christ altogether. All and, and yet the scripture could not be clear. If you are in Christ, there's no condemnation. All of your sins, judicially speaking, all of your sins have been forgiven. Well, just like going back to Kathy's testimony, my testimony, we could be, be on the treadmill all of our life and have no hope of getting to heaven yeah. because we never know if we died in a mortal sin or venial sin. By the way, where does a venial sin cross over to be mortal? For yes. example, look at stealing. They say if you steal a small amount, it's a venial sin. Well, where does it become mortal? Right. I asked a priest that one time after I left the Catholic Church. He said, well, that's up to you. You have to decide when it becomes serious enough. I mean, if it's up to me, I'm going to rationalize. I'm going to say it's a venial sin, right? So a Catholic is unsure. Yeah. Do they have mortal sins or venial sins? And exactly. there's just really no hope. There's no assurance. And that, that's why there's no good news in the Catholic Church. You can do all of this all of your life. And then what do you expect? purgatory for an indefinite number of years right that's not good news oh i know and i sometimes when kathy and i are on road trips we'll um we'll turn on sirius the catholic channel and i don't know if you ever listen to that but but we'll listen to the catholic channel the gus lloyd program and and uh for one thing we're struck by how crass and and vulgar they often are and just um it, it's clear that maybe not everybody on the Catholic channel, but at least some of the more popular programs, you really have to wonder if they really believe what they say they believe because they're so cavalier uh, with, with their own beliefs and, and, and Christ himself so cavalier and, and demeaning, uh, nonchalant. But um, when we listen to them and we listen to their priests, Gus Lloyd and others, and Father, uh, who's a guy in New York, Father... Uh, Cardinal Timothy, Cardinal. Cardinal Timothy. So we listened to him, you know, and it it's so convoluted. Their their theological framework uh, with all of the menial and mortal venial and mortal sins, and how you've got to go to mass and you've got to do this and you've got to do that and miss and what happens when you miss mass and uh, it, it is so convoluted. It's just this bewildering Gordian knot of theology and like if i was catholic i would never know i would never know where i stood with god and most catholics don't yeah there's no assurance there's no comfort there's this great fear fear and doubt because all they have is a false hope that's why it's so important that we reach catholics you know right now they've got a pope pope francis yeah. that not only has said heretical things against the Bible, but he goes against historic Roman Catholicism as well. Yeah. And so there's a lot of conservative Catholics that are upset with this Pope. I mean, he's denied hell exists. He said that when a person dies, they just cease to exist. He also says atheists will make it to heaven as long as they're sincere. I mean, right. he, he says that if Martians landed on the earth and came to the Vatican, he would baptize them. Not, under, not even knowing that Christ had to become a man to save mankind. He didn't come, become a man to save Martians. 
Right. But this Pope, he doesn't know the Bible. And so he's misleading Catholics, not only away from the truth of the Bible, but away from historic Roman Catholicism. Yeah. And, and before we started recording, Mike, we were talking, I said, uh, this Pope, I've kind of referred to him sometimes as the Joel Osteen of Roman Catholicism, because he's just all over the map and he seems to have no theological center at all. But according to Roman Catholic doctrine, the Cardinals get together when they need a new Pope, the Cardinals get together and they do their holy huddle and they are directed infallibly by the Holy Spirit, according to what they teach, to select the new Pope. So, you know, and then they put out the, the white smoke or the black smoke or whatever to let you know whether or not they've come to a decision. So if if, if the Holy Spirit is directing them infallibly to, to choose a new Pope, how is it that they've got a Pope now that directs, as you said, not only scripture, but even their own doctrine? How, how does that work? Well, we know it's not the Holy Spirit. And I don't say this to offend Roman Catholics, but the Roman Catholic Church is Satan's greatest counterfeit. And I can look to the scriptures and I can show that they are following doctrines of demons. Just in the doctrine of venial sin goes back to the first lie that Satan gave in the garden. Remember, he told Eve if she broke God's command that she surely would not die. Well, that's what venial sin is. You commit a venial sin, you surely shall not die. You only go to purgatory. And so that was the doctrine of the devil. And then you see in 1 Timothy 4, 1, in latter days, some will depart from the faith and follow doctrines of demons. Paul goes on to name two of them, forbidding people to marry, causing them to abstain from certain food. Well, the Catholic Church forbids its clergy to marry. And then for the longest time on Good Friday, you couldn't eat certain food. You couldn't eat meat. And um, so, I mean, we're saying this through the authority of Scripture, that these are doctrines of demons that the Catholic Church is practicing. And so more than ever, we hate, we need to rescue Roman Catholics out from this religion that is really under divine condemnation. And these are precious souls. I mean, the nature of deception is that people do not know they're deceived until they're confronted with the truth. And you and I are truth bearers. What hope does any deceived person have unless we present the truth of the gospel to them? And many people are dying every day having been deceived and never even aware of it because they haven't been confronted with the truth. Absolutely. So, Mike, we began by talking about the Protestant Reformation 504 years ago. Um, Clearly, there was a need for it. Where do we stand today? with this divide supposedly between Roman Catholicism and evangelical, whatever that term means anymore nowadays, are are you seeing a kind of a melding back together? Is the is the, is the Reformation still pertinent? Uh, are, are we still as evangelicals or Protestants, maybe I should say, are, are we still standing strong on the pillars of the Protestant Reformation or do we see a, um, a, a drift back to Rome? In a, in a sense, or is the Catholic Church getting any help from evangelicals? Yeah, they really are. And it really breaks my heart yeah. because you would think evangelicals would understand the exclusivity and the purity of the gospel that saved them. But we've got many evangelicals that are actually encouraging ecumenical unity with Roman Catholics. Over the years, we've seen some unity accords signed by prominent, leading, highly visible 
evangelicals daring to say that we share a common faith in the gospel with Catholics. There are evangelicals that even say the Reformation was a mistake. And right here in our home, Dallas-Fort Worth area, there is a pastor when John Paul II died, he gave this quote in his church magazine that really is very upsetting. The rift that occurred between Catholics and Protestants 500 years ago is theological pettiness. In other words, this pastor, a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, is saying that the reformers were brutally murdered and burned at the stake for theological pettiness. He went on to say, we'll have plenty of time in heaven to figure out who was right about purgatory and Mary. John Paul was a man of God whom all Christians should admire, thank, and emulate. And so we have these evangelical pastors and leaders that are discouraging evangelism of Catholics. Yeah. Let me give you a couple of other quotes. Pope Benedict, when he resigned, Robert Jeffers of First Baptist Church in Dallas said this, the Pope was a wonderful, dedicated Christian man, and we celebrate the ministry he's had. Well, I know Robert Jeffers. I've done conferences with him, and I immediately emailed him because this was on public TV that he made this announcement. Right. He said, Robert, how can you say something that is untrue about Pope Benedict? He said, Mike, whenever I'm in public ministry, I can never bash Catholicism. I said, that wasn't my question. You could have told the truth, what you chose not to do. You could have remained neutral, what you chose not to do. Or you could have misled people by telling everyone that Pope Benedict was a wonderful, dedicated Christian man. And we need to celebrate the ministry he had of shutting the gates of heaven to those who wanted to enter with a false and fatal gospel. And if I may, I want to say something in support of the allegation that you just heard from Mike Gendron towards Robert Jeffress. I have seen this myself from Robert Jeffress. I listened to a sermon that he preached on Roman Catholicism. It's probably been it's probably 14 or 15 years old or so. And when you listen to that sermon, he sounded like Mike Gendron. I mean, he was solid against Roman Catholicism. He rightly called it a false theological system that has a false gospel that does not save. It only condemns. It does not save. He was, he was very, very clear in his denunciation of the theology of the Roman Catholic Church. But now he's done a 180, a complete flip-flop. Why? What caused that flip-flop? Did he come into a, a different understanding of Roman Catholicism and or the teaching of Scripture? Nope. He did a flip-flop. He did a 180-degree turnabout because he began to be invited by Fox News to come onto their network and be a contributor. And so once he got wrapped up in politics and uh, was a regular contributor to Fox News, he had to, he had to do a 180. Well, he didn't have to, but he did. And so he compromised the truth. He compromised the gospel. And now millions of people who have seen him on Fox News and have seen him praise the Pope and praise Roman Catholicism, shame on Robert Jeffress. Shame on him. Yeah. Well, most recently, this was a month ago, Albert Moeller, 
was interviewing a Roman Catholic Archbishop by the name of Charles Chaput on his radio program. And he said, Pope Benedict was one of the most brilliant theological minds of our times. Now, if you're not aware of Pope Benedict, before he became Pope, he was the cardinal that actually authored the Catechism of the Catholic Church that is so full of heresy. It's so full of false gospels, false false doctrines. And so what Al Mohler is saying is the man who is condemned with anathema by Galatians 1, 6 to 9 for perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ, Al Mohler is calling him one of the most brilliant theological minds of our times. Unbelievable. Can you understand why the average evangelical does not know if the Roman Catholic Church represents a mission field that needs to be evangelized, or if they're brothers and sisters in Christ, when we have leading evangelicals distorting the truth like this? It really grieves me. Oh, it does. It does, Mike. And um, I've I've seen other things from Al Mohler that have been enormously troubling as it relates to Roman Catholicism. That I have not yet come across. So that's news to me, but that's, you say that's recent, just in the last few weeks, in the last month. That is, that, that's inexcusable. I mean, well, it is. And I actually published the interview in my newsletter, the October newsletter, and anybody that wants to hear the interview and see and listen with their own ears, you can go to proclaimingthegospel.org and look at the October newsletter. And there you can hear the whole interview in its entirety. Yeah. Inexcusable. Al Mohler knows better. I mean, he knows better. He he knows the theology. You know, the most loving thing to do for someone, if if you see them in theological error, significant theological, and we're not talking here about who you think wrote the book of Hebrews or the date of the Exodus. You know, these issues between Roman Catholicism and biblical Christianity, it's literally literally the difference between heaven and hell the most loving thing to do is to warn people if they're headed to hell to warn them that that they're in spiritual danger and and i would say that what al moeller did and what others do who know better that is that i mean this is going to sound harsh but it's the purest form of hatred that there is it really is right i mean how, how much do you have to hate somebody to know the truth and not tell them? It discourages evangelism of Catholics when you make statements like that. Oh, totally. And, and by the way, you mentioned the book Contending for the Gospel that I wrote. The reason I wrote it was because there's so many evangelicals compromising the gospel today for the sake of ecumenical unity with the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, just recently, LifeWay Research surveyed 1,000 senior pastors, evangelicals and Protestants, and the survey said that two-thirds of these evangelical pastors say Pope Francis is their brother in Christ, and more than one-third say they value the Pope's view on theology and that he has improved their view of the Catholic Church. This is disturbing. What happened to the Reformation? Are they saying that we should have been united all these years and it was a mistake? Right. So anyway, that's why I wrote Contending for the Gospel. We need to be aware of these things so that we can take a stand for the truth. Because what's at stake? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the salvation of lost people. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
how many um, you know how many people have given their lives mm-hmm. over the centuries to 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 defend the truth to get the word of God into the hands of people and and as I say that you know when you look at the history and Mike correct me if I'm wrong but I'm pretty sure I'm not when you look at the history of the Roman Catholic Church its entire history at least at least since um, you know, the Middle Ages, its entire history is one of doing its dead level best to keep the word of God out of the hands of people. Is that right? So right. In fact, at the Council of Trent, which is the Counter-Reformation, the Catholic Church had to assemble all of its bishops to counter the Reformation. And so it was during that council that they put the Bible on the list of forbidden books. I know this is hard to believe, but anybody can go to a bookstore or library, pick up the doctrines of the Council of Trent, look under the list of forbidden books, you'll see the Bible right there. And here's the reason, Justin. They knew that these reformers were abiding in God's word. They were learning the truth, and the truth was setting them free from the Roman Catholic religion. So what does the Catholic Church have to do? Ban the Bible, because that's the only way they're going to keep their people and, and religious bondage and deception. Yeah. Truth was setting them free, just like the Lord Jesus said in John yeah. chapter 8, verses 31 to 32. Yeah. And you look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26, we're to pray for those in opposition to the gospel that God would grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, so they can escape the snare of the devil who holds them captive to do his will. And the most powerful tool the devil has to hold people in religious deception is indoctrination. Yeah. Your wife, Kathy, and myself, the same testimony. From the time we could think, we were indoctrinated that right. the Roman Catholic Church is the one true church, and if you ever leave, you'll go to hell. Right. That was ingrained in us for all those years. Right. But it came down to, do we trust God and his word more than we trust the teachings of our religion? And that's the only thing that sets us free and gives us hope. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah, it, it speaks volumes. It really tells you all you need to know about the Roman Catholic Church, that they have fought tooth and nail to keep the Word of God out of people's hands because, as you said, the truth sets people free. They know that, and so they have fought tooth and nail to keep... I mean, how many how many martyrs can we name that have been killed at the hands of the Roman Catholic Church simply because they wanted to print the Bible in English and get it into the hands of people. Um, how many people have the, have the, has the Roman Catholic Church killed for that crime of wanting to get scripture into the hands of everyday people? Well, I'm sure you're familiar with the St. Bartholomew Day Massacre. Yep. And during that massacre, the streets of Paris were ankle deep in the blood of saints the Catholic Church had put to death. And that's why Francis... Uh, a non-Christian country today, all the born-again Christians were put to death. See, the Jesuits were formed at the Council of Trent as well, and they were formed to put away any opposition to the Roman Catholic religion. And so they put to death a lot of people that believed in the Bible, that believed in the gospel, because they didn't want this spreading. They wanted to hold people captive. And so now you have a Jesuit pope the first Jesuit Pope in the history of the papacy. And he's also willing to put to death anyone who stands opposed to the Roman Catholic religion. 
And so we're living in very interesting times. I believe we're close to the soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I look at this as a blessing. We may be the most blessed generation that's ever lived to be alive when the Lord returns for his church. And so what we need to do is be about the Lord's business with a sense of urgency. We need to share the gospel. 1.3 billion Roman Catholics need to hear the gospel and come out of that false religion so they can be true Christians born again by the Spirit of God by believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Mike, for, um, and as I ask you this question, I even have some people in, in my mind, people I've talked to and people I know, and I hear this a lot. Even for those folks who understand that Roman Catholicism is wrong, uh, they would say, well, my mom, my dad, they're Roman Catholics, you know, my cousins or whatever, that they're Roman Catholics. And yeah, they, they don't understand the issues, but they love Jesus. I, I just know they love Jesus. They talk about Jesus. What would you say to folks who have family members who are Roman Catholics um, who believe, who would say, yeah, they're, I understand that my family members, my parents or whatever, they're, they're wrong on some things, but, but I just know, even though they're kept, I know they love Jesus. What would you say? Can you be a Roman Catholic and be a real Christian? What would you say to those folks? Only if you repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's really interesting that you ask that question because we hear that also. Oh, I know a Catholic who say because they love Jesus. And my response is, which Jesus do they love? Right. Is it the Eucharistic wafer that has been transubstantiated into the physical body and blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, according to the Catholic religion? Or is it the one who sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for his saints? Is it the one who died once for all sin for all time, and there's no more offerings for sin? Yeah. Is it the one that we see in Hebrews 9.28 that he will return a second time and not in relation to sin? No, yeah. we have to look at the Eucharistic Christ as a false Christ because by the authority of Scripture, he will return a second time, not every day. Right. And the Bible tells us when he's going to return at the end of the tribulation, how he's going to return in the same body he left with, where he's going to return. He's going to return to the Mount of Olives. Yep. And how he's going to return with great glory. Every eye will see him. There'll be no doubt that the Lord Jesus has returned. So by the authority of Scripture, we can say the Eucharist is a false Christ. And Roman Catholics need to know when they bow down and worship that Eucharist, they are committing the same sin of idolatry as the Israelites did when they worshiped the golden calf as the true God that delivered them out of Egypt. And we know the fate of those Israelites God had 3,000 put to death. And so more than ever, Catholics need to come out and worship the true Christ. Yeah. In fact, that's the kind of worshipers God seeks in John 4, 24. It's he seeks worshipers in spirit and in truth. Yeah. So, um, you know, our whole ministry is dedicated to providing resources for people like you've described that want to see their loved ones saved. We've got seven different gospel tracts, and one of them is, which Jesus do you trust? Because it contrasts the Jesus of Rome with the Jesus of the Bible. And there's some very stark differences between the two. In my book, Preparing for Eternity, it's a great manual for 
evangelicals to study so they'll know how to witness to their loved ones. But I also read it, wrote it in a way that is something you can give to a Catholic. It's written in the spirit of love and truth. And I contrast what the Bible teaches right alongside what the Catholic Church teaches. And they have to, they're forced to make a decision. Should I trust Christ and his word or the teachings and tradition of my religion? It's impossible to believe both are diametrically opposed. So I would encourage anyone that has loved ones and you're wondering how to reach them, remember two things. Establish the word of God as their supreme authority over bishops, over traditions of the church. And that's easy to do. I mean, the Apostle Paul, when he's preaching in the synagogues of Berea, he notices his listeners are searching the scriptures to test the veracity of his teaching. Well, if an apostle comes under that scrutiny and he doesn't get offended, he commends them for doing this. Shouldn't your pope and your bishop and your priest, shouldn't you and I come under that same scrutiny? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have that. And we also have Mark 7, where Jesus deals with people submitting to traditions rather than the word of God. The apostate Jews were invalidating the word of God for the sake of their tradition. Mark 7, verses 7 to 13. And so establish the word of God as the supreme authority, and then show that Jesus Christ is the all-sufficient Savior. The Roman Catholic Church denies the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. To his headship of the church, they add a pope. To his word, they add their sacred tradition. To his finished work on the cross, they add the mass, which is performed on an altar. To his infinite and inexhaustible merit, they add a treasury of merit that contains the merits of Mary and all the saints. To his purifying blood, they add purgatory. To his satisfaction for sin, they have to satisfy their own sin. To his high priestly office, they offer the priest. And to his role as the only sinless mediator, they add Mary, who is said to be another sinless mediator. So establish Christ as the all-sufficient Savior that he is, and establish his word as the supreme authority. When you do that, you'll win a lot of souls for Christ, provided the spirit of God is bringing conviction and illumination. Amen. Amen. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek and also to the Catholic who will put his faith, his or her faith, in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And Justin, if I could just say, since you triggered my thought, one of the miracles that took place when Jesus gave up his spirit, the veil separating the Holy of Holies from sinful man and the Holy God was ripped open from top to bottom, showing that now through faith and the shed blood of Jesus, we have direct access to God. We don't need a priest offering sacrifices anymore. So the Roman Catholic priesthood is unnecessary. It's superfluous. We now have direct access through the one mediator, Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's God's perfect man and man's perfect God. Amen. Amen to that, Mike. Thank you so very much, brother. Thank you so very much. Um, Mike, where can, as we close here, where can people go to find out more about you, your ministry, I say your ministry, we understand what I mean by that, the ministry to which God has entrusted you. Uh, Where can they, resources, where can they go? 
they can go to our website, proclaimingthegospel.org, or they can call us. Our ministry number is 817-379-5300. We answer all of our calls. We respond to all of our emails. And as I mentioned earlier, we have uh, all of our archived newsletters on our website, along with all the resources. I've written many articles that you can download, copy and paste. Um, we want to be there to equip you, to encourage you, to be faithful witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ, not only in the huge missions field represented by the Roman Catholic religion, but we have compassion and love for all those who are perishing. And we've got many different resources to help you be faithful witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed. All right. Mike, thank you so very much, brother. And uh, it's, it's good to have you on my channel. And uh, Lord willing, would love to have you back on. Well, it's a pleasure and a privilege. And thank you so much for the opportunity to share the gospel through your podcast. May many come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus for hearing the gospel today. Indeed. Indeed. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Mike. Okay, dear ones, thank you very much for watching this. I hope that this was an encouragement for you to you and uh, um, equipping for you as well. And I know many of you watching, maybe you are Catholic, maybe you have family members, friends, loved ones who are Roman Catholic. So I'll encourage you, go to Mike Gendron's website, proclaimingthegospel.org and a wealth of resources there to, so that you will be equipped to speak the truth and love to your Roman Catholic friends and family members. Okay, until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or are interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.